rose from the grave. Knowing, Dakota, my own back there. Yeah, there we go. Knowing that all of hell was thinking, well, it's over. It is finally over. This man who called himself Jesus is finally dead and in his grave. And then all of a sudden, as that death angel hovered over him, he began to talk to Satan. I can just imagine the conversation. He probably looked at Satan, Brother Rusty, and said, he just won't deteriorate. I just won't set in. That rigor mortis is just not setting in on his body. I don't understand it because he's not breathing. He's not doing anything. But he just won't begin to smell bad. It's almost like he's dead, but he's not dead. And then on the third day, Adam, Jesus Christ arose from the grave, and I can imagine the conversation that went on. Satan probably took off running and thought, Lord, how mercy, I thought y'all killed that man. And then all of a sudden, here he come walking down the streets of Jerusalem. Can you imagine what all of those people thought? What a wonderful Savior we serve. Amen? I want you to take your Bible this morning. Turn to Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter number 5 this morning. And I want us to begin reading in verse number 1. I ask you for your prayers this morning. That God would give us liberty to preach what he has upon our hearts today. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible said, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down, and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Father, we're grateful this morning for your word. We're grateful this morning, God, that you are the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. 
And Lord, this morning I plead the blood of Christ and ask you, God, for a direct anointing from heaven upon me that I may be able, Lord, to preach your word today. And God, I just pray for your grace to be upon the hearers that they may be able to receive. Lord, I pray you'd open up hearts this morning that maybe one may come to Christ. May there be one salvation in the church today or many. God, we just pray that your will be done and we thank you for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to ask you a question as we preach on this subject. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? When we think of something being worthy, we must ask the question, does it have the qualities or abilities to merit recognition? Is it worthy to be recognized? Is what we're speaking of worthy to be recognized? In other words, is what we're calling worthy, worthy to be called? worthy is it worth calling worthy in our case as uh, we see this morning we're speaking of Christ and the question is is he worthy or let me ask it this way is he worth it is he worth what we say he's worth is he the value that we say he's a value of here in our text we find four times that the Bible calls Jesus Christ worthy Now, if the Bible calls him worthy, then we must come to the realization that he is what he says he is. He is what is pinned down in the Bible. He's everything. If we believe the part of him being resurrected from the dead, if we believe the part of him dying on the cross, if we believe the part of him being born of a virgin, then we must obviously believe every part of the Bible that where the Bible says he is worthy, then we must believe this morning that he is worthy. Amen? As a matter of fact, there is a book of Judges that is uh, known to have it in it the tribulation period. But John begins to weep because the Bible tells us that no man was found worthy to open the book or to even look upon the book. But then all of a sudden the elders begin to say, John, weep not. He says, weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So what we find is John is beginning to weep because he's looking at a book of judgments that no man can open. And all of a sudden, there is somebody who steps up. The Bible calls him an elder. Steps up and says there's no need of weeping because there is someone who is worthy to open up this book and to loose the seals thereof. Now, here's my question to us this morning. If he's the only one worthy to open the book, If he's the only one worthy to open up this sealed book of judgments that's going to pour out tribulation upon the world in the days after the rapture, then here's my question to us. If he's worthy, then why do we treat him like he's not worthy enough to open our hearts? Why do we treat him like he's worthy enough to do these things? He's powerful enough. He's valuable enough to do all of these things. But is he valuable enough? And why do we treat him like he's not valuable enough to open up our hearts? I believe this morning that if there's one person who's worthy enough to be in our hearts, it ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you why? Because when you look around, there's people sitting beside you, your very own family, that even though you've allowed them to have a place in your heart, they will hurt you. Say amen. They will bring some pain into your life. They will bring some discomfort into your life. They can cause problems. But when you begin to think about Jesus Christ, He's never caused one problem in my heart. I've got problems, but He's never caused the problem. 
Can I tell you what Jesus does? He's able to take up an abode in your heart and live in it. And he's worthy enough to be the God, to be our Lord, and to be somebody who ought to be in our hearts. I'm afraid that in our modern world of Christianity, we've closed our hearts to the only one that's really worthy to be inside. And because of that, we're not talking to him like we should. We're not worshiping him like we should. We're not working for him like we should. I think that inside of our hearts, there's a place for Jesus because we've been born again. But I think we've taken him off of his rightful place and we've set him down to the lower standards of man and say, I've been hurt, I've been in pain, I've suffered. So Jesus, I'm only going to give you so much of my life, so much of my heart, and God, that's as far as I'm going to go. And for that, I just can't worship you, I can't talk to you, and I can't work for you like I should because I'm afraid. I want to talk to you this morning as I uh, ponder upon this question, is he worthy? I want you to see, first of all this morning, is he worthy of our weeping? Now look in chapter, or chapter 5 and verse 4. The Bible said, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Now John is weeping because of the unworthiness of man. Now there's a big debate. Some people think that Shane John is looking through this book and he's looking at the book and he can't touch it, he can't open it. And as he begins to look at this book of judgments, he begins to weep because there's, um, the book needs to be opened and nobody can be found to open the book. But I don't think that John is so interested in the book as he's interested in what he sees that can't open the book. Now when you think about this book that's in heaven that's sealed, And can't anybody open it but one person, and that person has to be worthy enough. It's almost as if God takes John and says, John, I want you to see what I see. I want you to look down upon the heart of man and see what I'm able to see. Because I don't know about you, but there's some men in my life, there's some women in my life who I think are very worthy people. I think they're very good people. I think they're people who are worthy of certain things in life. Although no man is worthy to open this book, I think they are worthy people. But when John begins to look at what God has showed him, is seeing the very heart of people, I think John begins to look around and he begins to feel the pain that God feels. He looks around and he said, wait a minute now, I thought Jim Chain was a different person than what I see inside of his heart. I thought, I thought Rebecca was a different person than what I see inside of her heart. And I believe that the Apostle John is being able not only to see people, but he's being able to see what's in their heart. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want that responsibility. I don't want to know what's in the heart of my family. I don't want to know what's in the heart of my church members. I don't want to know what's in the heart of of people around me. Matter of fact, Miss Robin, I don't even really want to know what's in my heart. Because I can tell you, inside of the heart, it's deceitfully wicked. Inside of the heart, you're able to be deceived. How many of you thought you had this heartfelt feeling to do something and you found out it was wrong? Amen? We've all been there. And we find so many times that we get hurt when we find out truly what the heart of a person is. Have you ever seen anybody that they seem to be so great and so good, they were polished? I mean, they look like the perfect person to be a friend with. They look like the perfect person to spend your life with. And then all of a sudden, after a year or two of marriage, after a year or two of friendship, after a couple of years of this and a couple of years of that, you find out that what was in their heart is really not what you thought. 
Well, that's what John sees. John looks down and he says, wait a minute, guys. He said, I'm beginning to weep because I'm looking at all these people who I thought had good hearts, but their hearts are black as a million midnights. Now, I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. Because I have had over the years some people who I thought were going to go the distance with me, who I thought would go the few miles with me, who I thought would be great prayer warriors in days to come, who I thought would be part of a ministry that would be able to flourish and to help people, only to find out that their heart really wasn't what I thought it was. And can I tell you something? I began to weep. How many of you ever had a broken heart? How many of you has ever had your heart broke all into pieces? Seemed like it just got shattered out on the floor. And why it was shattered out on the floor, somebody just swept it up and threw it in the trash. I've had that. Over and over and over. And you have too. Somebody you depended on. Somebody you thought was going to help you go to the next level. Somebody you thought was going to be there and be compassionate when you go through storms and trials and valleys. Somebody you thought was going to be by your side to hold your hand and to cry with you and to pray with you. Only to look at you and say, you made your own bed, you sleep in it. Man, what kind of friend is that? And so many times we see these kind of people and these are the things that hurt us. But you know what happens when we get hurt? You know what happens when we get hurt? For some reason we get hurt so bad that it seems like we take it out on the Lord. We take it out on the Lord. We take it out on Him by forsaking the church. You know the Bible said in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And He said so much more as you see the day approaching. He said there's going to be so much more forsaking, but you also need to have more church. I don't know about you, but I need church. I need this environment because it strengthens my spiritual man. It strengthens the inner man. It strengthens what I know is going to be my uh, guiding light. It's what's going to be my ability to carry on to the next day. I need this environment. I need to hear them sing. I need to hear them sing in the power of God. I need to hear preaching. I need to hear uh, uh, saints pray. I need all of these things. That's why I come to church. So here we forsake church because we get hurt. Then we forsake church and we take it out on the Lord by lack of devotion toward Him. You know what I mean. You remember when you used to spend hours with Him? I mean in prayer, in supplication, in intercession, giving of thanks, reading your Bible, and you just couldn't get enough of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, some old mossy-backed Baptist hurts you. Amen. They will hurt you. You know they will. Say amen. Say amen. Say Baptist will hurt you. All right, let's get that out of the way because we know it's true. But can I tell you something? Just because somebody hurts you in church doesn't make it Jesus' fault. And so many times we take it out on the Lord and we say, you know what, if the church is going to treat me like that, I'll just back up and leave. I'll just do something different. You know what you need to do when you get hurt like that? You need to snuggle up in the arms of Jesus because the same people that hurt you are the same people that hurt him. You're going to get hurt. It's funny to me how people get hurt on the job and they just show up the next day and get their paycheck. They get hurt in church and all of a sudden, I just ain't reading that Bible no more and I ain't praying. I'm done with it. I'm through. Don't even talk to me about Jesus. I'm done. I'm running as fast as I can away from this place because this ain't what I thought church was going to be. What do you think church was going to be? It's full of people. Go ahead and say this. People are crazy. Say it again. People are crazy. When you think they got a sober mind, all of a sudden stupid comes out. Just be honest. It happens. 
So do I take it out on the Lord? Do I back up on my church meetings? Do I back up on my devotion to God? Do I turn back to my old lifestyle? Man, I'm watching so many people today. So many people, important people. When I say important people, the ones that God has placed sometime in a position and put them in the spotlight, all of a sudden they get hurt, they get something happens to them, and all of a sudden they're saying, you know what, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want it. Can I tell you what that shows me? That shows a heart that never really was devoted to Him in the first place. You know how much I've been hurt? Me neither. I've been hurt so many times I don't have an idea. I just keep going. You know why? Because He's worthy for me to weep sometimes he's worthy enough for me to hurt sometimes let me ask you this is he worthy of our worship now most of you's gonna say oh he sure is oh lord preacher you know he's worthy of, of my worship because that's why i'm here that's why i'm here but let me ask you a question if he's worthy of our worship and you're going to answer this question with a powerful yes then i think that our worship should be powerful don't you think that it should be as powerful as you answer yes? I think it should be. For the most part, church is where most people worship. The only problem is they do it one hour a week on Sunday. Say amen. Now, there's some of us that could get a DUI in the truck going down the road. And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You got both hands raised up into heaven. You listen to the radio, and everything's getting real good, and you're crying, and you know, before you know it, you got a car coming head on. you got to hem it up. The police is behind you with blue lights on. He pulls you over and won't know what's wrong. He walks up to the window. He said, what is wrong with you? And you're crying and weeping. You say, God, it's just so good. And he says, yeah, he does that. It's like, this guy's fruitcake. But for the most part, that don't happen. It happens in a church setting. It happens in a place where we come to worship. And I think if we ought to come to worship, I think we ought to put everything we have into the worship service. But most of the time, let's go ahead and admit it, it's heartless and cold with no emotion at all. I've said this so many times. People come to me and they say, you know, preacher, I'm just not a real emotional person. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Shane, well, stick your, stick your shin out in the aisle. I don't want to have to fight him. Jim, kick him. <laughs> kick him. And I promise you, he'll get emotional about it. He might cry. He might get angry. He might ball up his fist. But something's going to happen. You know why? Because everybody has emotions. What if you took all of your emotions that you put into being angry? What if you, put in all, what if you took all of your emotions that you put into being sad? And you put them into saying, you know what I'm going to do with my emotions? I'm going to worship Jesus Christ. You say, is that, what, is that what's going on in the Bible? Well, let's look and see because we find all the way down here from verses number 8 through 14, we find that they are singing, they are worshiping, they're being very emotional. There's something going on in heaven that's different than just coming to church, putting on a choir robe and sitting down and saying, well, glory. No, they're worshiping the Lord Jesus. Let's look at what's going on. I want you to notice in verse 8, the position. Notice in verse 8. The Bible said, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, they did what? They fell down before the Lamb. Brother Ray, this is position. He said, What does that have to do with worship? Well, there's many different types of position. In the Bible, you'll find that they stood up, raised hands, and worshiped God. Lifting up holy hands. That's what they did. In the Old Testament, you'll find that they laid prostrate on the floor. 
You'll find so many different ways of worship. But here in heaven, you find something different. You'll find that they're kneeling down. And they're kneeling down and they're kneeling at the Lord Jesus Christ showing Him His what? Lordship. And the very thing that they're doing in heaven is what we do around this thing here called an altar. See, we had to build an altar. You know what this resembles? It resembles a place where we come and we bow at the feet of the Lamb of God. It's a place where we come and we put our face before God and say, Lord, you're everything to me, and this is a place that I've come to be in submission. You say, wait a minute now, do I have to get on this altar to do that? No, but you'll have to get on an altar somewhere to do it. Because that's what God is all about. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, you'll find that there were altar after altar after altar after altar after altar. And people were worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ around an altar. You say, it makes me nervous when I see people on the altar. It don't me. It makes me real nervous when I don't see people on the altar. I get all shook up. I'm thinking, Lord, what's wrong? Have you departed? Because where Jesus is, people will be kneeling. Where Jesus is, people will be kneeling. That's what it's all about. Now I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something. We had to build an altar. In heaven, Jesus is the altar. Whew, I could run on that one. We had to build one, Bailey. We had to make do with what we could. In heaven, Jesus is the altar. They're not looking for a place to lay down. They're looking for a person. So we see the position of their worship is submission. It's submitting themselves to God and saying, God, we're here for you. We want to do what you've asked us to do. Now, not only notice the position, but notice the praise. Look in verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. Now, I want to ask you a question. I love this verse. The Bible said they sang a what? A new song. Some of y'all stuck on the old song. When we get to heaven, somebody's going to say, can't we sing that old classic back from 1929? Uh, Renee, she likes them oldies but goodies. She still listens to ballroom music, amen? Big band. She likes the big band music. No, I'm just playing. But they sang a new song. Now, the song they sang... It's not what we would call new because it's about how worthy Jesus is. It's about his blood. But you know what's going to be new about it? It's the people who's singing it. Because we're going to be in a glorified body, but not only are we going to be in a glorified body, if you go on and read down about uh, verse number 12, 13, 14, you're going to find that not only are they singing a new song, but there's some new people singing this song with them. And it's the host of heaven. It's the angels as they begin to sing this song. You know what the angels don't understand? It's what you're doing right now. They have no idea. What is he doing? What's them people doing down there? You know why? Because Shane, angels don't have to be redeemed. They're not. They don't have to be saved. So in their heart, Jason, they don't understand nothing we're doing. All they do is look down to heaven. That's why the angel looked at the disciples when Jesus was taken up in Acts chapter 1. And they said, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that went away shall come. I'd like to have been there. Because if I'd have been Peter and James and John, I'd have said, yeah, but angel, you get to go up where he is. I'm watching him go up. Now I just got to walk by faith. You just get to go up where he is. Something's the angels, some things the angels don't understand. So when they begin to sing, guess what? It's going to be brand new to them. But it's going to be brand new to you too. 
I like new music. You like new music? I like those things that are fresh. I like those things that are new. And I like old, too. I like anything that magnifies Jesus Christ. I like anything that honors Jesus Christ. But for some reason, we've gotten to this place where we're afraid to worship. We're afraid to praise. We're afraid if we step out of what we used to do back in 1970, that everything's going to go south in the church. We're going to be a bunch of compromisers. Can I tell you something? Things change. You know how I know things change? I heard Brother Ray and I heard Brother Dan talking about the churches they attended when they were kids. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have pews and they had wood benches. Had big old pot belly stoves in the middle of them. I don't know about you, but look around. Some things have changed, haven't they? They were talking about how they'd let the windows up and put a fan in the window. Lord, I'd go home. We'd meet at 6 o'clock in the morning. Amen. Can I tell you something? Cultures change. Things change. Worshiping Jesus never changes. Praising Jesus never changes. I'm afraid today we have a group of people that call themselves the church. I'm not talking about our church, the church. They have no idea what worship and praise really is. You know what worship and praise really is? Worship is surrendering and submitting yourself to God. And praise is getting up, telling everybody how good God is and what He's done in your life. And for some reason, that's gone today. People come to church and we just sit here and can't wait for the singers to sing and the preachers to preach. Boy, what a good day it's going to be. What a good day. I hope the preacher really got something good. I hope them singers are on key. I hope that band plays well. I tell you something, that's not worship. That's not praise. Worship and praise is understanding that he is worthy enough for you to surrender your life to him and then just to stand up and testify in church of how good he's been since you did it. How many of you has been let down by Jesus? You know, my whole life in church, I've never seen anybody stand up. Not one time. Mama said, I just want to say it's been a sour time serving Jesus. Man, he's done me so wrong. It's been so bad. I thought he was going to make me rich, and he didn't. I thought I was going to get a new car, and mine tore up. It's just so bad. I've never heard anybody say that. You know what I have seen? I, say, I have seen the people that go through the hardest times stand up and say, I just got to say something this morning. And you're wondering, what are they going to say? Because, man, they've been through the hardest time of their life. And then all of a sudden, they begin to speak and say, you know what? You know, it's, it always starts off in the Baptist church, I just want to say I love the Lord. And then it goes from there of how good Jesus Christ really is. He's been good to me. Boy, I've walked through the valleys. I've walked through some hard times. I've been broke. I've been beaten. I've been through all sorts of problems. But boy, he's worthy of every one of them I've been through. Not only is he worthy of our weeping, is he worthy of our worship, but is he worthy of our witness? Now, I want you to think about something. The Bible says over and over, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. I want you to think about something. Of all the things that could have been said in heaven, 
All of a sudden, they begin to testify. Now, they could have talked about the streets of gold. Imagine what they're seeing. Just imagine what heaven is seeing as they're sitting in the book of Revelation, the church already being raptured up. You finally got to see your mansion. You finally got to see everything that Christ gave you. You finally got to see those streets of gold and those pearly gates. And you've got to see those jasmine walls. You've got to see all of those things that are just so beautiful. But they didn't talk about that. No, they began to witness. And you know what they did? They took us all the way back to before the foundation of the world. They didn't take us back to talk about the Garden of Eden. They didn't take us back to talk about uh, Matthew, Peter, James, and John. They didn't take us back to talk about all the preachers that have preached. They didn't take us back to talk about all the churches that have been built. This is what they took us back to. They took us all the way back to say there was a lamb that was slain and he's worthy. This morning I'll ask you a question. Is he worthy for us to tell people of who he is? Because that's what we're designed to be when we're saved is a witness. A witness of the things that God has done in our lives. A preacher asked me the other day, he said, I don't understand these new preachers that don't witness to people. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm seeing preachers everywhere that saying they're called to preach and they even have positions, but they just don't witness to people. They just don't tell people about Jesus Christ. And I said, can I tell you something, sir? They only can tell people about what's in their heart. And if it's not in their heart something that God has done, then they can't tell them. You know what we need? We need a group of people who's got it in their heart that God has opened up their heart, who is able to say from their heart, these are the things that Jesus Christ has done for me. And we have to realize that that's their only way of salvation. The only way of salvation is through the blood. The only way of their sanctification is through the blood. And the only way of real worship is through the blood of Jesus Christ. How many of you this morning have experienced the power of the blood of Christ, knowing that you've been saved and God set you free from the sin that you was in, knowing that you've been saved and you got taken care of by God because He took care of your sin, knowing that you don't have to pay for it, that Jesus Christ paid for it, knowing that the just died for the unjust, knowing that He freely laid His life down because He cared for you and He loved you, And can I tell you something this morning? If you're here and you're lost and you're undone without Jesus Christ, there is a hope in this world for you. And I want to witness to you for just a moment and tell you exactly how good God is because it doesn't matter this morning if you're here from three years old and you're here to 93 years old if you're alive and breathing Jesus Christ died for your sin Jesus Christ died that he might be able to change your life that he might draw you out of that place of darkness and put you in this marvelous light he is the one who gave his life up so that you could have life but not just life life more abundantly because see we as people we look around 
around and we think the abundant life is in living this world's desires and doing the things of this world. But can I tell you something? I found out 15 years ago that this world has nothing to offer me because the life that Jesus Christ gives is full of peace and joy and love and compassion and this world didn't do anything but teach me deceit and greed and covetousness and guilt and pain and Jesus Christ came to take it all away. Every single bit of it. And this morning you can be born again by the power of God, through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God. Because Jesus Christ shed His blood for us. All of us. You say, preacher, do you need salvation? Oh, Lord. As Paul said, I'm the chief sinner. I was standing beside Paul, being the chiefest of the chief sinners, wicked and vile. You say, is, would he save me as Chelsea comes? Oh, Lord, would he save you? Can I tell you something about Jesus? He'll not only save you, but he'll change you. He'll make you totally different. You say, I don't know if he's worthy or not. This morning, I began to just sit and pray and ponder over how worthy he is. And God brought me back to some places and to some people. And I began to just ponder of how worthy Jesus really is. Because, see, he's worthy of our weeping. He's not only worthy of our weeping, he's worthy of our worship. Not only is he worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our witness. And that's why on this very morning, in just a couple of hours, there's a pastor, Brother Jim, that lives in Washington State. And boy, I begin to think this morning. Of what men see in Jesus that pushes them through the hardest times, that helps them get through the weakest events of their life. And there's a man this morning who's a pastor. You know what he's gonna do today? He's gonna have to walk away from his wife who's in a hospice bed. And he's going to have to make his way to a pulpit. Weeping. He puts on a strong front, but weeping. And I thought to myself, Lord, I hope you put it in my heart to see you that worthy if I ever deal with such. To see you worthy enough to stand even in the hardest times in the weeping hours. I'm just going to tell you something. Danielle, there's going to be some times of weeping. There's going to be some times of pain, Daddy. But he's going to make his way to a pulpit this morning. To a church. 
He's going to worship with half of him not being there. And he's going to do what every preacher does. He's going to witness of how worthy God is. Knowing that before he leaves that pulpit, he could get the call that his wife has passed. Knowing that it could be tomorrow, it could be next Friday, it could be next week. And yet he's going to mount that pulpit. You know why men can do that? You know why singers can sing in the midst of all of their troubles? You know why Christians continue to show up and to tell people about Jesus? Do you know why people continue to work for God? Do you know why people continue to worship Him even when life is falling apart? Because He's worthy this morning. Worthy is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. As you stand this morning and Chelsea sings, if you need to come, I'd love for you to come. If you've never been born again, I'd love for you to come. We'll lead you to Jesus Christ as she sings this morning.
get the ushers to come up this morning. Let's take up the Lord's offering. While they're coming up, don't forget.